0: If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. I've never really liked that poem, because I always saw it as a celebration of colonialism. But the words have come back to me recently because I'm starting to feel as if I'm the only man around here. I'm using the word man in a figurative way because I'm really referring to the qualities usually assigned to men, the type of qualities that are expressed in that poem by Rudyard Kipling, if. And I'm perfectly happy being a woman. Women in European countries were traditionally seen as having a tendency towards hysteria. And before the Second World War, European women who didn't conform to what was expected of women were often diagnosed with hysteria and sometimes sectioned in mental institutions. But right now it seems that everyone around me is succumbing to hysteria, men and women. It's quite an unsettling feeling. It's hysteria that has been deliberately whipped up in the mainstream media and it seems to be affecting everyone, regardless of their educational background or political persuasion. I'm referring to the panic triggered by COVID-19, as well as the more recent outrage over the George Floyd killing. And yet, bizarrely, it seems as if coronavirus is suddenly being dropped from the mainstream news headlines like hot potato. This morning when I was out for a run, I saw several smiling faces. I don't know if this is a coincidence, but maybe as the relentless churn of coronavirus scare stories starts to ease off, people are starting to relax. Let's hope so. The press seems to be looking for some other issues to distract us with, especially the kind of issues that would be likely to interest conspiracy theorists or people with inquiring minds. Prince Andrew and the Epstein case, Madeleine McCann, and even news about the murder of Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palme in the 1980s. You just never know with the press. Tomorrow there could be some other scare story, a terrorism outrage or a second wave of Covid. I just wish people wouldn't get so triggered by these media storms. People have been so terrified by the mainstream media reports about COVID-19 that they are not only accepting the removal of their civil rights and the enhancement of police powers, but they are welcoming it and begging for more restrictions. Which seems particularly ironic, given that the militarisation of the United States police is one of the reasons for the deaths of unarmed citizens like George Floyd. I was surprised and also very encouraged by the extent of anger over the Floyd murder because I had been increasingly horrified by the number of police killings of unarmed black men and women going back decades in America. Usually when something like this happened, there would be an outcry and then things would just go back to normal, often without any reprisals for the police officers involved. I'm not sure why this murder was so different. It might have been because the whole event was filmed. I was surprised, astonished, in fact, when Barack Obama weighed in to the debate on the 29th of May. I take very seriously, as I said before, the need for fairness in our criminal justice system. And Bill, we did a little interview before I came out here and he, Bill asked, what had been your experiences? And I fessed up. You know, I, I have, as a young man, there have been times where I was driving and I got stopped and I didn't know why, Um, but I I, want to make sure that uh, when we approach this issue, uh, we recognize that it's not all on the police and everybody else can just sit back and opine. The community and the society and the city and the state and the nation have to be partners with the police so that we're not giving them impossible jobs because they have the right to come home to their families. Oh, sorry, that was actually Obama's comments from when he was president of the United States in 2015. He was commenting then on the shooting by police of an 18-year-old, Michael Brown, and the subsequent founding of the Black Lives Matter movement. So this is what Obama posted to Twitter on May the 29th this year, four days after the killing of George Floyd. It's natural to wish for life to just get back to normal as a pandemic and economic crisis upend everything around us. But we have to remember that for millions of Americans, being treated differently on account of race is tragically, painfully, maddeningly normal. Whether it's while dealing with the healthcare system or interacting with the criminal justice system or jogging down the street or just watching birds in a park. This shouldn't be normal in 2020 America. It can't be normal. If we want our children to grow up in a nation that lives up to its highest ideals, we can and must be better. Great words. It's just a shame that he waited until he was out of office to say them. Obama is certainly known for his moving words and stirring speeches, but maybe not so much for his actions during his eight years in office as president. Progressives, people on the left, were sharing Obama's tweet like mad. They seem to have forgotten about his inaction on issues like this when he was in office as president and could, presumably, have done something about it. Or maybe US presidents really are just puppets. I think that probably is the case. I mean, George Bush also spoke out about the George Floyd murder, posting to social media that America's greatest challenge has long been to unite people of very different backgrounds into a single nation of justice and opportunity. Is this really what Bush was trying to do during his eight years in the White House? Goodness, somehow it passed me by. Progressives weren't really sharing that post very much. I think it's a shame that so many people get triggered by left-right political divisions, which I think just lead to manipulation, as people caught in the grasp of ideology twist themselves into contortions to try and make their cognitive biases fit. I find it refreshing when someone has the guts and presence of mind to step out of that ideological prison of social expectations. One of my relatives was living in the United States at the time of the last presidential election and her African-American flatmate voted for Donald Trump, apparently saying that as long as the Democrats were in power, people were just looking the other way. In that way, I think he might have been stepping out of one ideological prison and into another, but at least it's a start. It's a bit like one of those little puzzles where you have to get the ball through a maze and into the centre. You have to tip it back and forth and the ball keeps going from one side to the other. But if you just do it gently enough, you should eventually be able to get the ball to stop going from one side to the other and fall through the little passageway and out to freedom. There are so few people who manage to free themselves from the grasp of political ideology. The ones who succeed in freeing themselves from the political thought that they grew up with Just go from one political ideology to another, just like that little ball. So you get people who voted for Brexit twisting themselves into contortions to explain why Dominic Cummings was justified in flouting the lockdown rules just because he supported Brexit and helped push it through Parliament. I voted for Brexit, but I have no problem saying that Dominic Cummings was totally wrong to flout the lockdown rules in the very same week that he sat on the sage government advisory meetings that led to people being told by law to stay at home regardless of whether they had problems with childcare or any other serious family problems. And sadly, the George Floyd protests are being used to divide people. A far-right protest is being planned for this weekend, timed to clash with the Black Lives Matter protest. Many people are starting to take up positions in separate camps, with the people who are against lockdown being seen as right-wing and conservative, and the people who are protesting against the Floyd killing being seen as left-wing and progressive. But it's not a black and white issue, and that pun was intended. I know of several people of colour, and I've spoken to some of them, who are fervently against the lockdown, but who also support Black Lives Matter. Just because I'm against the lockdown and I see it as a severe infringement of my civil rights, that does not mean that I'm against the Black Lives Matter protests. But I think that the divide and in rule incitements are going to continue. I'd love to think that with the protests for this latest dreadful police killing becoming more acute and more newsworthy than previous protests against similar police ki- killings, maybe some good will come out of it. Maybe police training all over the United States might be improved so that this kind of killing of an unarmed person, whether black or white, doesn't happen again. And that police forces in other countries don't, don't go down the same road. Unfortunately, I fear that the opposite might be the case. And I think the outcome will be more government controls, more restrictions and ultimately more powers for the police. President Trump has already threatened to send in the army to end the unrest which reminds me of an article that I read in Newsweek early on in the coronavirus crisis, which made my blood run cold. It was called Inside the Military's Top Secret Plans A Coronavirus Cripples the Government. This report was published two and a half months ago on the 18th of March 2020. It discussed what would happen if significant parts of the American government were disabled by illness and also what would happen if there was widespread domestic violence due to to food shortages. It said that standby orders had been issued to ready these plans, to protect Washington and to prepare for the possibility of some form of martial law. And it quotes one senior officer as saying that America had better learn who General Terence O'Shaughnessy is. Apparently O'Shaughnessy is the combatant commander for the United States and he's the one who would be in charge, in theory, if the government was incapacitated due to illness. With the coronavirus threat receding, this doesn't seem likely now, unless there's a second wave. But it is something to bear in mind that these plans are there, waiting on the table to be unrolled. The coronavirus crisis has given the authorities incredible powers and they're not going to want to let that slip from their grasp. How are the authorities going to cling on to those unprecedented powers to that possibly unexpected level of docility from the general public? Maybe turning peaceful protests into divisive riots might be the way to keep the police state powers in place. The BBC is reporting today that the NHS waiting list could double to reach 10 million this year and economic chaos is likely. The Operation for Economic Cooperation and Development is forecasting an economic contraction of 6%, which is described as the biggest peacetime economic downturn in 100 years. There's been news of several high street businesses closing or making drastic cuts. The restaurant group, which owns Frankie and Benny's, says it's going to cut up to 3,000 jobs. And high street fashion chains Monsoon Accessorise and Quiz have also announced job cuts. And it's all completely unnecessary, in my opinion. I met one of my neighbours in the street yesterday, a very glamorous and well-dressed elderly lady, and she said, how long is all this going to go on? I'm totally fed up with it. She said she really misses going shopping in town and meeting friends there for a coffee. In some ways, businesses could have a more difficult time operating once the lockdown restrictions have been eased because they'll have to pay full cost once again for rent, rates, staff, heating, lighting and other things yet they probably won't have as many customers as before and it may take time for people who are nervous about catching the disease to risk venturing out again. And in addition, many businesses will have restrictions on the number of people that they can let inside their doors. I'm passionate about climbing and the rules that have been outlined for climbing centres post-coronavirus are very restrictive. People will be kept nine metres apart they'll have to book their climbs in advance and they'll be restricted to what areas they can climb in and how long they can climb for. And prices may have to rise. Climbing is a very social activity and while most climbers are desperate to get back to climbing and they'll want to support their local climbing centre, they're going to have to think really carefully, for example, about whether to buy a season ticket. The whole point of a season ticket is that you can go in at any time and climb as much as you want for as long as you want. What's the point of that if you have to book in advance anyway and then you can only climb on a certain part of the wall for a limited time? I really hope that all this doesn't take too much toll on smaller independent businesses. One of my biggest fears about this whole lockdown nonsense is that it could push smaller independent companies out of business and big multinational chains might take their place. It's not that I don't like any of the big multinationals but I like to have a good variety of outlets to choose from with healthy competition among businesses. I mentioned in an earlier podcast that I travelled to East Berlin very briefly in 1979 and to more Eastern European countries that were behind the Iron Curtain in 1989. I'll never forget those memories of having to queue for everything and then often finding that there was only one product available anyway and of prices being surprisingly expensive, even though the quality was generally poor. poor, I really don't want us to turn in that direction. I've gone out of my way not to buy things from Amazon or eBay during this crisis. I bought two bottles of essential oil on eBay and a computer battery on Amazon. Every other non-food purchase that I've made has come directly from independent businesses. And I'm going to try and continue that way, but it would become more difficult if smaller businesses were to start going under. Amazon and eBay have offered us great new ways to shop, and I love the rating and feedback system that they pioneered, which has made groundbreaking improvements to to customer feedback and customer satisfaction. Up to a point, I'm happy to reward them for that. But the danger of a world with just a handful of enormous retail outlets is, to my mind, a horrific prospect. If things were allowed to get to that stage, the commission for goods sold through these platforms would soar because there would be no competition and that would push up the prices of the goods. As an example, Amazon recently slashed commissions paid to affiliate marketers, causing dismay to many bloggers and vloggers who make their living in this way. But the competition was far too weak to present a deterrent to Amazon in doing this, so the bloggers who were relying on this kind of income were left crying in the dark. For those who don't know, affiliate marketers promote certain goods or products on their blogs or vlogs and receive commission every time a product is sold as a result of that promotion via a special link. If the business owner is trying to sell a product, they might offer a popular blogger a commission on every item that is sold through their blog. If I like a blog and I want to reward the blogger for their hard work and good advice and if they're promoting a product that I want to buy, I try to buy it using their link so that they get the commission. It doesn't usually affect the price of the item. Amazon is not the only company that offers affiliate marketing, but it does make the whole thing much easier from the marketer or blogger's perspective. And there's such a huge variety of products on Amazon for people to choose from. But in a way, if you have a very popular blog with lots of devoted readers and you rely on Amazon for monetization, and then Amazon suddenly slashes the commission payout without warning, in a way, you only have yourself to blame because Amazon is the easy option. It offers everything on a plate. Maybe it's better to build a relationship with a few companies whose goods you know and really like, which might take longer and you might have to put in a bit more effort, but the rewards could be more substantial over the long term. I'm not an expert on this, but I'm actually trying to make a wider analogy here. Supermarkets offer us a great choice of fantastic products with everything all in one place, but it can make us lazy. We don't have to shop around. They're full of convenience products, and there's lots of temptation to buy things that we don't really need. I'm not trying to make people feel guilty. Supermarkets have their place, and I've done a lot of shopping in them over the years, and I still go to them. But this crisis has changed me a lot and I don't think I'll go back to the way I was before. My new normal is that I cook more of my own meals from basic ingredients, even soaking chickpeas overnight to make hummus. I have about three recipes that I keep rotating, so I'm eating a lot more simply. But that doesn't mean I'm not eating delicious food. I'm lucky because a nice little fruit and vegetable shop recently opened just a few minutes away from where I live. When the lockdown started, there were long queues outside all the supermarkets with guards everywhere. And again, it reminded me of my visits to Eastern Europe during the Soviet era. I know that they had to do this by law, but it just gave me the chills. I felt that I couldn't go to the big supermarkets that had a lot of guards. And at the beginning of the lockdown, there were still some shortages resulting from the panic buying that had been going on. So I started shopping in health food shops instead, which were a wee bit further away, but they were much better stocked and with shorter queues. And then luckily, this little fruit and vegetable shop opened. It also sells things like chickpeas and lentils. I now only go to the supermarket about once every 10 days for things like goat's yoghurt, butter and cheese because I have a cow's milk intolerance. The wee vegetable shop seems to be really popular and I hope it continues to do well because it seems like the way things used to be when you just did your shopping from local shops. I go there three or four times a week and I think it costs me about five or six pounds extra each week but I know where they get their fruit and vegetables from and I'm happy to pay that little bit extra. There's an online bookstore called hive.co.uk that offers books from bookshops all over the UK by post. Their prices are generally on a par with Amazon, and they don't have quite the same range, but their range is still pretty good. I love listening to audiobooks, but I've never signed up to Audible, because it's effectively a monopoly. It became a subsidiary of Amazon in 2008, and there's just no competition, which might be partly due to publishing rights. If there was a good alternative, I think Amazon would buy that up too. There are many free audiobook readings of classic books that are out of copyright. And sometimes anarchist or voluntarist authors make audio recordings of their public works available free of charge. I just resist moving towards that Soviet-style monopoly-controlled world. I sometimes feel like King Canute, trying to single-handedly roll back the tide I think it's convenience that's got us here into this world where we're effectively being controlled by a handful of enormous big tech companies through our pockets. I don't think it's because we're lazy, but it's because we've all been working so hard, struggling on treadmills, trying to earn enough money to feed our families. So we just don't have enough time even to think about going shopping or doing some cooking or gardening. We just bung something into the microwave every day. Ultimately, that's negatively affecting our health, our wealth and our power. I would like to think that the coronavirus crisis is receding, although as long as the horrendous coronavirus act remains on the statute books, I'll continue to see this as a medical power grab. Even if that act is repealed tomorrow, I'd like to see people taking back their power in small ways, like shopping in local independent shops, even just occasionally. We don't have to shun the supermarkets to do that, But it would be great if people could just think for themselves instead of allowing themselves to be triggered and panicked by whatever the mainstream media has on its front pages. I just wish people would calm down and get things into perspective. COVID-19 is a disease which has almost no effect or very mild effects on the vast majority of people who catch it. It has caused roughly the same number of fatalities globally as a bad flu season. But if you get heart disease or type 2 diabetes, you have a much greater risk of dying suddenly or getting long-term complications. And those diseases, although not contagious, kill vastly more people than COVID-19. In that respect, eating convenience food regularly and sitting on the sofa watching TV is much more dangerous than giving someone a hug. If you've enjoyed listening to my podcast, please subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. If you'd like to make a comment, download a transcript or view the show notes, go to imaginingfreedom.co.uk. Thanks for listening.